0: Good morning. 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 Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Lamentations. Lamentations. Let's go to the Lord in prayer just one more time. Great God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice and, and we're thankful. We appreciate this time that we as the saints of God can gather together here to sing praises to your name, to fellowship with one another, to seek you in prayer, and now as well to open up your word. Father, we remember now those who are suffering. We think again of the Kaufmans. We think of the Browns, we think of others who are struggling. We ask that your spirit might intervene and bring comfort and healing and sustaining grace. But Father, also we remember hearts that are wandering, hearts that are hungering for truth, hearts that need a word from you. And I pray, Father, that regardless of the need here this morning, that you might speak through your word. I pray, Father, that you would captivate our attention now, help us to focus, and we pray that Christ's will would be done in our lives for his sake, for his glory, for the advancement of his kingdom until he returns. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe, but we are winding down the end of the school year and i don't know about you guys but the Schafers are pressing forward to that finish line we want to get done we have homeschool evaluations that gotta be done before summer begins before summer holidays summer activities we've got a great evaluator but there's a standing joke with our evaluator we know we know she's got a tagline every year You guys, you should be reading more, even though our kids are reading dozens of books. And and expand your genres, even though our kids are reading multiple genres. But as I think about that, I wonder where our evaluator might go with this. And and I'm thinking, as the gatekeeper of our house and determining the reading lists and the books that my kids are, are consuming, Uh, There might be a couple that I say, "Eh, no, I'm I'm not going there. How about teen vampire romance novels? (laughs) No. I'm sorry. (laughs) Call me crazy, but no. (laughs) We're not going there. Another one I struggle with is dystopian novels. Now, are you tracking dystopia, the opposite of utopia, and a good... Dictionary definition is this. It's an imaginary place or state in which the condition of life is extremely bad as from deprivation, oppression, or terror. There are certain common elements in any dystopian novel or movie, and those common elements are, you can think this through with me, of course, you have to have the collapse of civilization as we know it. But then also, It's common to see an absence of God and an absence of transcendent law or morality. There's always survival of the fittest in this little Darwinian test-tube experiment and pragmatism rules. There's also always a distrust of authority, both at the governmental level, level and also adults in general. And overriding everything is a sense of futility and hopelessness. With, With these essential elements kind of earmarking dystopian novels and movies, I, the gatekeeper of the Schaefer household, will also say no to dystopian novels. Now today, as we enter the Book of Lamentations, the state of Judah's collapse and destruction could be viewed By darkened and darker imaginations as a dystopian masterpiece. As way of just a quick review, King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem in 597 BC and carried King Jehoiachin and the elite Judean society off into captivity. He then installed a puppet king, King Zedekiah. Who was in place, in authority to do the bidding of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, King Zedekiah didn't like that position, he didn't like being a puppet, and against the express word of Yahweh being spoken to him by the prophet Jeremiah, King Zedekiah aligns Judah with Egypt and they revolt. Naturally, King Nebuchadnezzar will have nothing to do with this. So he comes in and he sieges Jerusalem in 589. The siege would last for 30 months. Think about that. Almost a three-year siege. In the end, a breach was created in the wall. King Zedekiah and the remnant of his army flee into the wilderness. King Nebuchadnezzar's army quickly overtakes them and King Zedekiah's sons are brought before him, and they are massacred before him. Zedekiah's eyes then are gouged out, and he as well is taken off into captivity to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, not content, said, Enough is enough with the Jews. Tear down the temple. Tear down the walls. I've had it. And only the poorest of the poor remain in the country at that time. The level of suffering of the people of Judah at this time probably has no parallel, at least in ancient history, and maybe for all time. One writer put it this way, every worst woe befell the city which drank the cup of God's fury to the dregs. We will run into some of those horrors as we look at the Book of Lamentations, as the prophet recounts them. In these five standalone poems that, that are woven together into this book that we call Lamentations. However, what is very clear as we move through the text is this Lamentations, get this, Lamentations is not a dystopian set of poems. As gruesome and barbaric the conditions became during the siege and destruction of Jerusalem, there was still a sovereign God reigning in justice, not whimsically, not capriciously, but sovereignly controlling the events of the nation of Israel. And at a very specific time, 70 years later, Judah's captivity would end, which was promised, and a renewal and a healing were promised for Judah as was described in such passages as Jeremiah 33, verses six through nine, where we read, behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. In light of the divine justice playing out here with more than just a few hints of steadfast love it's worth our while to sit with Jeremiah in silence in grief and to ask some hard questions today we'll attempt just to cover chapter one and at different points in the future Lord willing I'd like to get through the remaining four chapters then so now today, right here. Let's take our time, let's read through chapter 1, and let's allow the gravity and the grief of the prophet to grab our attention. So, if you have your Bible, take it. Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people, How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction. And hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the foe, and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts, she took no thought of her future, therefore her fall is terrible, she has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed, the enemy has stretched out his hands over her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation." All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high, he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand, they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned as an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves, in the house it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Let them, now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint." as we work through the text this morning, I'd like to do it in a way that we ask ourselves five simple questions, just five questions. The first one is this, according to the text, how is Jerusalem described? According to the text, how is Jerusalem described? John Calvin, commenting on the opening of this first poem, wrote this, the prophet could not sufficiently express the greatness of calamity except by expressing his astonishment. He then assumes the person of one on seeing something new and unexpected is filled with amazement. Let me read that again. The prophet then assumes the person of one who on seeing something new and unexpected is filled with amazement. It was indeed a thing incredible. For as it was a place chosen for God to dwell in, and as the city of Jerusalem was not only the royal throne of God, but also, as it were, his heavenly sanctuary, the city might have been exempted from all danger. For since it has been said, here is my rest forever, here will I dwell. Psalm 132, verse 14. God seemed to have raised the city above the clouds, And to have rendered it free from all earthly changes. We indeed know that there is nothing fixed and certain in the world, and that the greatest empires have been reduced to nothing. But the state of Jerusalem did not depend on human protection, nor on the extent of its dominion, nor on the abundance of men, nor on any defenses whatever, but it was founded by a celestial decree by the promise of God, which is not subject to any mutations. So when Jeremiah is grasping for words, it almost comes out in a stammering, stuttering way. He, he begins chapter 1, verse 1, with, with only, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. And then in chapter 2 and chapter 4, this, this how statement continues. Chapter 2, verse 1, how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. Chapter 4, verse 1, how the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. These statements of how are so prominent in Lamentations that in Hebrew, the book is referred to as the scroll of how. So in answering this first question, we need to see the catastrophic irony that's weighing so heavily on the Jews here and that's delighting all the neighbors surrounding Israel. This this was the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey where Yahweh would dwell with and bless his people in such a way That the words of deuteronomy 5 verses 7 and 8 would become a reality moses would write there for what great nation is there that has a god so near to it as the lord our god is to us whenever we call upon him and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all the law that is set before you today in contradiction to what have should have been in the promised land. The youthful Princess Bride, who was followed and brought up by her husband out of Egyptian slavery, is now, in verse one, likened to a widow and to a slave. The nation that was given rest from all its wanderings, all of its enemies, now dwells among the nations but finds no resting place according to verse three in verse four those roads leading up to zion that were once filled with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude keeping festival were now roads that mourned because no one came up to jerusalem to worship the one true living god Those who were not recipients of Yahweh's steadfast love in covenant, those who were forbidden to enter the temple are now the ones who are coming in and they're ransacking, they're pillaging, they're desecrating that holy place. Those who seek Yahweh lack no good thing, according to Psalm 3410. And yet those same people are now described in verse 11 as those who would trade treasures for food for which they desperately searched. Verses 7 and 16 describe Jerusalem as finding no one to help, no one to comfort. But wait a minute. We're familiar with verses from the Psalms that say things like, God is our refuge and strength a very present help, help in time of trouble. And the steadfast love of the Lord would be their comfort according to his promise. So there is something drastically, dramatically wrong here in Israel, in Jerusalem at this time. And that leads us to the second question. What is the cause? What is the cause of Jerusalem's suffering and distress? If you look at verse 5, we read there, her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for what reason? For the multitude of her transgressions. In verse 14, we see God giving Judah over to its sin. The prophet writes of the country, the nation, my transgressions were bound into a yoke by his hand, God's hand, and they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. Verses 18 and 20 continue the just accusations. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. Beyond disobeying the covenant commands here, we see Jerusalem pictured as an unfaithful spouse, running after other lovers in spiritual idolatry, especially at this time as she looked to Egypt and to Assyria for help and deliverance rather than the God who always promised that he would be there to fight on behalf of his people. Verses 8 and 9 capture this thought so well. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy, All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought for her future or for her end. Therefore, her fall is terrible. What is being portrayed here in the text is not, it is not a wife of honor and dignity, And modesty. Rather, what we see here is a graphic image portrayed of the filth, the nakedness, and the shame of an adulteress. An adulteress as her skirt is being pulled up over her face for the world to see. The gravity of the devastation of Jerusalem is now is beginning to align with the depth of her sin. And the third question follows naturally out of these illicit relationships. Where are Jerusalem's lovers? Were they there in her time of need when the roof came crashing in? Having been so enamored by her lovers, Jerusalem called to them for help. But she found herself deserted. In verse 2 we read, she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks, Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. In verse 19, we read that same thought as it's being echoed. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. Three times in chapter 1, we read, there is none to comfort. Twice we read, there are no comforters. And one time we read that is stated, there is none to help. Having neglected God who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, Jerusalem is now abandoned and all alone. In case there's any doubt at this point as to who's responsible, who is the one executing vengeance upon Jerusalem, we need to ask our fourth question, who was it that brought this calamity upon the people of God. While Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar are often called out in Jeremiah's prophecy as Yahweh's servants who would execute justice on Judah, neither of them are mentioned here in Lamentations by name, not in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5. There is one, however, who is called out, who is responsible for this act of justice and judgment. It is God himself. From verse 5, the Lord, Yahweh, has afflicted her. From verse 12, look and see there, if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Verse 13, from on high, he, Yahweh, sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. From verse 15, The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned as an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Jerusalem. And from verse 21, all my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you, God, have done it. You have brought the day you announced. There's one final question then. In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of describing the situation in Jerusalem, is is the prophet praying at all at this point? Are are there any prayers that we can track and and grab hold of here in chapter 1? Well, there are two. There are two. The first prayer was simply this, look, O Lord, and see. Look, O Lord, and see, verse 9, my affliction. Look, O Lord, and see, verse 11, I am despised. Look, O Lord, and see, I am in distress. My stomach churns, verse 20. The second prayer is this. It's an imprecatory prayer. Deal with our enemies as you have dealt with us, verses 21 and 22. Verse 22 specifically ends with the prophet almost gasping for air at this point, let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. As with anyone who is still in shock from a traumatic experience, Jeremiah is responding from the gut. There is no thought out theology There is no balanced supplication here in everything that has just taken place. He will get there in chapter three. He will recover his senses. And in chapter three, we're going to see an excellent articulation of good theology and and an appeal to God's steadfast love and his mercy. But right now, it's too fresh. It's too raw. It's too painful. And all we have here are the words of a frantic, hurt child who is looking for his father. So why commit to a sermon series from the obscure book of Lamentations? At least in our modern mind, it's very obscure. I think the reason is this. At least there's one reason. It is to demonstrate that Lamentations is not a dystopian storyline. There was a plan and purpose in what would happen to Judah. God is not mocked. Those who trivialize God's righteousness, justice, and mercy will find him to be just as wily, just as vengeful, and just as jealous for his holy name. Earlier in the scripture reading this morning, Mark read for us from 1 Corinthians 10. The Apostle Paul writing this. Now these things. What what things? Now these things. Well, it's the, the historic accounts. It's the prophetic ministries. It's even the laments from the Old Testament. All of these things took place as examples for who? For us. For us But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The Apostle Paul here is very clear in his message to the church. We get no buy as New Testament saints. Let me repeat that, please. We, we don't get a buy as New Testament saints. God's holy standard is still the same. It remains fixed. There have been no adjustments. We may not run after Canaanite or Greek gods or seek an alliance with Egypt, but truth be told, the American church has its own pantheon of gods. Our adulterous longings for the easy life with success and wealth and for deliverance coming from political parties cultural influencers, media outlets, all of these things betray our unfaithfulness to the One who has pledged us to His Son. If God did not ignore the transgressions of His people in Israel during the time of the prophets, how can we think that He will somehow overlook unfaithfulness in the church age? The Apostle Paul would finish that text from 1 Corinthians 10 with this stern warning. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are are we stronger than he? The Book of Lamentations calls for immediate, humble, and honest reflection. These five poems were given to us for our instruction so we might not sin and grieve the Holy Spirit as they did. On our own, let's be honest, we're just as treacherous, just as unfaithful as Judah was at the time of Jeremiah. And in a very relevant way, Lamentations speaks to us as individuals to battle the constant drift of our hearts, to run after other gods. It also it's the Spirit's clear message given to the church as a whole, which is often the case in the New Testament. We see it to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Thyatira. It's, it's that message at the macro level. And at this macro level in the United States today, we currently find on every side conveniently nuanced language to disguise our capitulation and surrender to cultural trends and immorality, or or we see outright embracing of sin, sin from the culture, the church who bears the name of Christ no longer reflects the glory of her Savior. If the church in America continues down the current path of independence and self-sufficiency, the Lord Jesus Christ will come out against her. And it is not beyond the realm of possibility for the Lord to remove the lampstand from its place. Uh, Are we more excellent, more noble, more worthy than the Ephesian church from Revelation chapter two? We're not, we are not. So rather than celebrate our power, our wealth, technology, that the American church loves to boast about and to continue in the pursuit of comfort and leisure that we all do on an individual level, we should, we must repent in fasting and prayer owning up to our sin and the sin of the American church. Will we take no thought for the one who saved us and called us to a holy calling, there is still hope. There is still hope. For the penitent ones, there is forgiveness. The spiritually bankrupt who hunger and thirst for his righteousness will discover the Lord's mercy, steadfast love, and faithfulness, bringing renewal to his church. The current outlook is dismal, but we should not give up and throw away our hope. The prophet in chapter 3 proclaimed, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. With Jeremiah, let's do the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we admit and recognize the heaviness of this text. And we pray for your spirit to work. We pray for grace. We pray for for honesty as we examine our own lives, our church here, and the church at large. Father, may we pursue Christ in holiness. May we repent of our sin. May we be done with the gods of this age. Please help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.